It is a new year, so welcome to welcome. the Grow People Podcast with Pastor Jason, lead pastor of Revolution Church. My name is David Stein. I'm the campus pastor at our Canton location. As we always begin the podcast, the purpose of the Grow People Podcast is to help grow people. Grow people. Excellent. I don't know if we were changing it up in 2023. Probably not. No. I don't feel that creative to, no. s- to start the year. Maybe after the fast, I'll... I'll be uh, I'll be a little more creative. Well, you you preface by saying we always say so. Then I knew we weren't changing it. Yeah, <laughs> we had to, we had to. But I, I would like to at the beginning point out, as I do it every year, mm-hmm. and I've already referenced it. Mm-hmm. It is twenty twenty three. Yes, it's not two thousand and twenty three. I didn't say that. No, you didn't. No, I'm just for all our listeners out there, for anybody that calls Revolution Church home mm-hmm. or listens to us, then just at the beginning of the year. Just putting it back out there again, 2023. I don't want to hear 2023. That's too long. No. Too hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Almost as bad as saying two Corinthians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, you know what's so funny about that? Like, um, that is definitely a like um British thing, Australian thing. Uh, I don't know how you categorize that part of the world, but it is definitely like other parts of the world say that really oh yeah oh i didn't know that australians do um and again a lot of europeans do um and what's funny is when they say it they sound really smart like it sounds smart and sophisticated but then when when, you're in two corinthians yeah exactly okay (laughs) that was pretty good but then when some people say it they say we're here to help you grow yeah (laughs) sorry they always yell. That's going to be our new. That's going to be our new, <laughs> new tagline. We're going yeah. <laughs> to take that snippet and just play it all the time. If you could splice that up, Chandler, and save it for us, that would be great. But then other people say like two Corinthians, and they sound really dumb. Like so, it's it's like this. Uh, it's one of those uh, kind of ironic things. Some people say it; and they sound really smart. Other people, you're like, oh, you totally just said. That. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I thought of when you said that. Well, welcome to a new year. Yes. 2023. 2023. In case you were wondering. Uh, 2022 ended beautifully uh, with our Christmas gatherings. They were awesome, magnificent. Um, so glad that you were able to uh, to come and, and gather together for five gatherings here, two gatherings in Jasper, three gatherings online. Mm-hmm. We, there were actually more people gathering than in 2019, which is really the last year we have to to compare yeah, quote, unquote, quote unquote normal times. BC, yes, BC, yeah, BC. before COVID, and and the gatherings were sweet. Uh, the theme of "I'll be home for Christmas" it, it just it just worked. It felt right. Sweet as in like the the kids say like cool, or sweet as in like oh that's like precious. Both, hmm. both. I found it precious and cool. <laughs> I just wasn't sure how you were using it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you, but it's uh, it's just funny that you said sweet. Yeah, like yeah. Let's talk about your message though, uh, because you took um, a an unfamiliar Christmas message uh, of the story of the prodigal son, which uh, you have mentioned several times mm-hmm. is is about two sons. Yeah, and then you turn this into this magnificent, mag- magnificent. that's omnipotent and magnificent put them together yeah magnipotent um i almost yelled we're here to help you grow (laughs) grow. 
Um, so, uh, it was a mag- a magnificent picture of the gospel. I hope so. It was. Yeah. I took a story that had nothing to do with Christmas. So Which people think, um, you, you kind of went that diehard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is it a Christmas movie? Is it a, is this a Christmas story? Is it a Christmas parable? Is this a Christmas message or not? Uh, well, what's funny is, and, and part of it is, I mean, the reason I shouldn't say part, the reason I chose that story was from the theme side of mm-hmm. I'll be home for Christmas. Like when I thought of that concept, the first thing I thought of was that son coming home and what the father must have felt like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I thought about that and then uh, I thought I'm a, I can, you know, I can work with that. But what's really funny is, yeah, some people might not think it is a Christmas message, but really every story in the Bible is ultimately a Christmas message mm-hmm. in this, in the sense of what I'm saying is any story, the, the Bible points to Jesus, old Testament and new. And obviously we don't get Jesus without Christmas, without, you know, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And there's definitely times where we look at the Christmas story in particular, you know, whether it be Mary's perspective, I've done that before Joseph's perspective, uh, where, you know, what was going on during the time, you know, we've talked about that kind of stuff, but I thought it would be good this time to take something that people didn't think had anything to do with Christmas, but fit with the theme and then show how it actually had everything to do with Christmas. Mm. And then that story in particular, and I said it during the messages, one of the things that always, um, intrigues me about the story is how it's always focused on one son. Right. But it's not. It's a story about two sons. And the whole reason why Jesus, and it's a made-up story, um, and by made-up I don't mean bad. Jesus just created it to prove a point. But his point was to highlight the the two groups of people that he was around, the sinners and tax collectors and then the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so we focus just on one point of it. We focus just on the prodigal son. And that's why even the heading says that instead of a parable of like the other heading says a parable of a lost sheep, parable of a lost coin, uh, coin, and then prodigal son. It's like, no, it should be the parable of two sons because the, the reason why Jesus told that story, one was to point out that the Pharisees were being like the older brother. They were being, um, uh, they were, they were treating all the people that Jesus was bringing in judgmentally. Like they somehow belonged and then they, the others didn't. And the irony of the story is the older brother ends up on the outside. Um, but it's also to point out the failure of the older brother. As I said, the other two parables, and we shouldn't subtract, you know, extract one parable from the other, other two, they were all told back to back to back for a point to make you realize why didn't anybody go after mm. this brother? Yeah. Why didn't anybody go? Well, that's the older brother's fault. And that's where Christmas ties in because Jesus is that older brother. He did go out and search for the lost um, children of the father, which is us. Um, so yeah, I hope it tied together well yeah. um, and got to the point of what Christmas ultimately is about. Oh, it absolutely did. And I just heard over and over again, especially from uh, a lot of people who were here for the very first time, how refreshing it was and uh, how sweet 
It yeah. was. Yeah. Yes. So thanks for gathering together for the Christmas gatherings. Thanks for gathering together online for the uh, New Year's Day mm-hmm. uh, year in review celebration. And uh, now we get into 2023. But before we do that, uh, let's go back to between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we know on Thanksgiving you went to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But we do understand that between Christmas and New Year's, you went to Kennesaw. <laughs> see what I did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that other place that has uh, a new feature now, yes. just like Arkansas does with a Whataburger. Yeah. What was funny, when I talked about in Christmas and the Christmas messages, the whole mm-hmm. idea of being home, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I talked about being from Texas and, you know, Whataburger and Bucky's and. Texas toast and Tex-Mex, you know, all that kind of stuff. It really does make you nostalgic for mm. things that, that uh, like I just saw um, a Chick-fil-A commercial. Uh, you know, they do these commercials with like people's testimonies in them. And a woman said that every time she bites into a Chick-fil-A, it brings back childhood memories. <laughs> uh, and I was like, Oh, I didn't never thought about that um, with Chick-fil-A, but it does with Whataburger. So yeah, we, as, I think we actually mentioned here after Christmas, I hadn't gone to the Whataburger in Kennesaw yet, but since I talked about it at Christmas gatherings, we wanted to go as a family. So we went, um, I can't remember, you know, whatever, Tuesday or Wednesday night, uh, so the 28th or 29th, whatever day. And we tried to go later at night, um, but it was still an hour and a half wait through the drive through Would you have been disappointed if there wasn't a wait? Um, I, I don't know if I would say I'd be disappointed because you pile the family in the car. You're it's an adventure. Yeah. I mean, I would have definitely liked to have waited less. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's really funny though. And I can't say everything. I, I preface this with you and I didn't say, it, but we were, we were in line. Um, and we had, we got there and we were at the back of the line. We had just gotten there and it's the, the side street behind it. You know, that's where they kind of line everybody out. And so, we were back, you know, not even on the Waterburger property, but in the road, you know, where the line started. And right across from or right behind Waterburger is a Kaiser uh, Permanente. I guess it's a like a small hospital or a mm-hmm. clinic or some kind of doctor's offices right. or something. And there was a guy who pulled out of that and he was pulling a trailer. I don't know if he had been working there or something, but he pulls up. And we're the last car in line at this point. And he like his windows down and he's kind of like waving at me. So I wait, I roll my window down and he yells at to me and he says some expletives. So I can't say those on uh, online, but he's like, is that really that good? (laughs) Um, And I said, oh yeah, it's that good. And he's like, it's worth waiting in that line for that long. I was like, oh yeah, man. And then he said a few more expletives and left. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) We were laughing. Uh, well, first I thought, who, what dude rolls up to somebody else's car and like drops some, you know, cuss words? No, like I'm in a minivan. You know what I mean? Like obviously there's family in here. Like what happened in his life that this is, but then the funny thing we were laughing about was like he was just floored that we'd be willing to wait in line that long. Cause I, I'm assuming that he had been, he had been by there several times and mm-hmm, seen the sure, line yeah. so long, so many times. Right. And for whatever reason, he just had to stop and ask this time, you know, <laughs> and he just happened to ask us, but he was just dumbfounded that you would wait in line that long. Um, 
So yeah, maybe on that side, I've been disappointed if it wasn't mm-hmm. long. Cause it would like, wouldn't speak very well of Whataburger. Yeah. Um, the, I, I was trying to think the, the last time I waited in line that long and it was longer was my first COVID test. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> had, had to drive to North point parkway. Yeah, that's true. And, I remember and that. I was on the yeah. phone with you. You were, and yeah. I was like, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. It's, it doesn't open for an hour and I am car 153. Oh my gosh. Yes. I do. Gosh. That's a far different uh, <laughs> motivation to wait. And, and when I there. got yeah. when I got to the tent, I did not get a burger. No. <laughs> <laughs> I got a sharp stick up my nose. Yes, you did. Oh gosh, remember life back then? That was crazy. The funniest thing about being in line is, you know how in Georgia on our license plate, the bottom it'll tell you the county mm-hmm. you know that you live in. If you don't have the "In God We Trust" sticker. So I was looking at, and there was definitely some out-of-state license plates there, like people from Tennessee, Mm -hmm. Florida. Uh, We did see a Texas license plate. I think we saw a Kentucky. But looking down at the license plate, how many people from other counties, Mm because that's in Cobb County. Mm -hmm. So how many DeKalb, Fulton, um, I mean, definitely Cherokee, Bartow. How many people from other counties? The reason why the line is so long, it's not just people from – Cobb and Cherokee County coming to this Whataburger. It's people from all over Atlanta driving because it's the first one. I'm assuming it's the first one. I, I know there's one over in in Buford as well. I don't know if it's open yet. Um, but that's the part that I was kind of laughing about was the reason why it's so long is people from all over Atlanta, other counties are coming to it. Um, so it it had been like a four-hour wait, but for us it was just an hour and a half. And we just pulled into the parking lot and ate right there because um, we weren't going to drive home, mm-hmm. wait, wait longer to eat it. So it was glorious. Yeah, I, I, it feels like a Christmas movie. It, it feels like something that should be done every year. Yeah. The, well, the funniest thing, too, well, funny and frustrating a little, was you could tell, like, all the people, as we got closer to ordering, mm-hmm. the people were taking forever to order. And so it wasn't like the, I was amazed once we ordered, I mean, I was amazed at how fast we got our food. So mm-hmm. props to the the people at Waterburger. They were getting it out fast. So that's not what slows it down. What was slowing it down is the people ordering. And you could tell that they had never been there before. And had never looked it up. Had never looked it in up. In their hour and a half in line. Yes. I as, told. As John Panette would say, get out of the line. Oh my gosh. Like I told my family, of course we go. We've gone enough to where everybody knows what they want. But I told them as soon as we pulled in the line, I said, listen, we better not get up to this window and y'all take, <laughs> like you take forever to, to order because we've been in this line plenty of time for you to know what you want to order. Look it up now, you know? So when we ordered, we ordered quickly, but literally every car in front of me that I could see three or four in front on both, both lanes were taking forever. You could tell there was like, a carload of seven or eight people in there and they were getting orders, uh, you know, back and forth and like, Oh, this and Oh, and that and this. And so that's why it's taking so long because the people don't go up there and be like, I want this, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. I stopped going to Chipotle. I always got behind the person ordering 23 oh for the gosh. office. Yes. Okay. On, on the first burrito. <laughs> yeah, you know if they're num- if they're numbering it, it's going to be a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When when we ordered uh, Chick Fil A, anytime we order like bulk, yeah, uh, for team members. So, so for Christmas, we yeah. had uh, just 
hundreds of Chick-fil-A sandwiches yep. in the team member lounge for our awesome team members. And uh, I, I, I love when I get to order. Yeah. Because then the question is, it would be my pleasure. They could say, it would be, be my pleasure. Can, can I get you anything else? And I'll go, well, I want one with extra pickles. Yeah. <laughs> then the second one. I want with- <laughs> and it usually takes them a couple of seconds yeah. to realize I'm yeah. joking. The third um, one. Well, good yeah. experience. Good experience. All right. So there is, if you, if you haven't laid out a goal for 2023, get down to Kennesaw or wait for Woodstock. Yeah, definitely get it in before the fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. If you get in line now. <laughs> you should be able to get through in time. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're about to enter. That's a good segue. We're about to enter our annual season of Abide. The fast does not start today. It does not start even Monday. Uh, the fast will begin on January. Did we not tell you? We're actually starting it on, on Sunday. Okay. We moved it up. Okay, that's bad. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> it, it starts on Monday January 16th. Okay. But this annual season of abide is longer than the actual 21 days of prayer and fasting. Last year during abide, we got our groove on. Uh, We talked about the fact that there is nothing wrong with goals, uh, but what is at the center of that goal? Yeah. Or who is at the center of that goal? Uh, We talked about single-fying our lives. Yeah. Paul talks about now, there's one one thing that, yeah. that he is going to focus on, and that's Jesus. So That was a uh, good word, by the way. Single-fy. Yeah, yeah. You came up with that. It's stuck all year. Yeah, I like it. So first question, how is this season of Abide different? Uh, maybe not in essence, but in theme. It's not different at all. Okay, good. Next question is... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, same same theme, obviously, yeah. the same heart. Yes. And, and just like we were talking about from Christmas... Um, you know, this is now an annual tradition for mm-hmm. us and we always want to, um, tackle it a little bit differently. And so like last year, um, as you just said, we talked about, it's not about goals as much as about grooves, you know, again, not that goals are bad mm-hmm. in setting goals, sure. but the point mostly was about a lot of people set a goal, but then don't really think about how they're going to achieve that goal as opposed to creating grooves in your life. Um, we talked about rifling, you know, and yeah, and having a single focus. So this year, thematically, again, abide, but taking that same kind of approach of saying, you know, it's not about resolutions um, as much as it is rhythms. And one of the things that I've really been, I think, convicted in my own life, and, and I don't know if we've talked about it on here. I know we talked about I'm going back to school and getting my doctorate in my class last semester was on spiritual formation. I think we talked about that. Yeah. And, and what's, can I just mention something here? Uh, I don't know. Can you? I can. Uh, may I mention something yeah. here? Yes, you may. <laughs> I'm having a bad flashback to Mrs. Tract, who was my fourth grade teacher at College of Trap Elementary School. Uh, 1968. Mm. Wow. That's scary. No, yeah. four, no, fourth grade would have been like 70, 71. Still before I was born. Okay. Yeah. All right. Any hoodles. Um, I love that your doctorate program is practical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's important to note because sometimes people think, oh, they're going back to school. It's going to be some ethereal, theological. It is a lot of theology. Of course. Uh, but it's a very practical thing. So when you're talking about 
things that you're learning in your doctorate program. It's things that you can institute not only in your own life, but in the life of the church. Yeah. And that, and that was really one of my primary, I mean, I love learning. I just love it. And I like school. I enjoy it. I'm one of those weird people. Um, but my primary motivation for going back to school wasn't just for myself. It was to continue to learn and be around pastors and professors to expand my understanding mm-hmm. and exposure really to things that I don't know about, or maybe just know tangentially. And so that we can apply that to church, you know, apply that to uh, the life of our church here at revolution. So again, the, one of the primary motivations for me to do it is so that I can become a better pastor and we mm-hmm. can become a better church. Sure. And to your point, last semester was on spiritual formation and soul care, and it was focused mostly on the pastor, like myself, developing this. And then, and that's why I think it was so practical for me is it really helped me. Uh, it exposed me to a lot of historical um, spiritual formation practices that a lot of time in contemporary church world don't get talked about. Um, and so, what I want to, what I've been convicted about is just I've got to be more intentional about my own spiritual formation, about being formed into the image of Christ. And we've talked about, I know we've talked about this before on here, about how all of us are born deformed. You know, um, like we are not who we are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Uh, even unbelievers don't know that. I mean, e- even they know that, that we're not you know, the best version of ourselves. So we're all deformed. And then when we trust Christ, you know, St. Corinthians 5 says we're a new creation. We've been born again. But I think a lot of times what we fail to understand as Christians, when we're born again, we are born into a new family, you know, the family of God, the church, but we're infants, we're babies. And I think we just expect, well, I'm a Christian now. Everything's going to be different. Everything in my life is going to change. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. No. And the reason, I think that's why a lot of people fall away is because they were born, born again, but they didn't develop any healthy habits. Mm-hmm. You know, like just like a baby, when a baby is born physically, you have to feed the baby, you have to clothe, you have to care for, and someone's doing that. And that's the primary role of the church is to do that for new believers, for new Christians to help them be formed into the new family of Jesus to that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is, um, you know, putting off my old ways and putting on my new ways. So when it comes to spiritual formation, it really comes down to how am I being formed into the person of Jesus? Well, that doesn't just happen. Like there has to be intentional practices or grooves that we talked about last year or rhythms that we create in our life that actually grow us up, that actually um, becomes our new way of living, our new manner Mm -hmm. of living. And so abide for us every year is a way to like recalibrate our lives around. Mm -hmm. It's a way to reorder our lives. And and that's why I'm not, again, I'm not a big new year's resolution person because a lot of us make resolutions with no resolve. You know, if you look at the word resolution, it's, Mm -hmm. It's like I'm resolving something, you know. So we make a goal, um, like I talked about last year, 
but we don't actually dig deeper to think about, okay, well, what rhythms am I going to create that are going to bring about this resolution? And that's why I like thinking about it from in terms of not goals, not resolutions, but okay, what are the rhythms that you're going to create? And one of the things that I had to do for my spiritual formation class at the end is I wrote a discipleship curriculum which actually wrote it for our church. We'll talk more about that in the future. But one of the spiritual disciplines is creating a rule of life. Um, and a rule of life is, and, and those that have gone through, uh, our staff went through it, and some team members have gone through it, the emotionally healthy spirituality. The idea of a rule of life is, comes from the, I think it's the Latin word, trellis. Yes. And you would know, you're a Latin major, yep. right? Yep. And it's the idea of a trellis it's not just something that goes underneath in redneck world, a, a uh, mobile home, but it's something that supports like a vine growing up. It. Mm-hmm. Well, if we think of resolutions like the vine, well, you're never going to get that if you don't have the rule, if you don't have the trellis, if you don't have something to which that thing can grow on. And so developing a rule of life is developing in your life certain rules or certain rhythms that you're going to live by. And if you live by those things, then you will be formed mm-hmm. into the person of Christ or like Christ. Um, so rules would be like, I'm going to take a Sabbath every week. Well, that doesn't sound like a, rev- a resolution, you know, but that's a rule. It's like, I'm going to live my life where I am resting a 24 hour period one day every week, like God commands me to do. Mm -hmm. Well, if I live out that rule, then naturally I'm going to be a healthier person. And so you take that principle and you just create these rules that you're going to live by. And if you live by those rules or rhythms, those are the habits that are necessary that will actually produce holiness. You know, that sounds so different from, you know, here's my resolution. I'm going to Sabbath 52 times this year. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you frame it differently, if you frame it the way we often frame uh, pastoral care, yeah. if we frame it the way we have preached with the question out of John chapter one, what do you want? Yeah. So if you want to be more like Jesus, and that is the purpose of growing in holiness, yeah. sanctification, if you want to be more like Jesus, then this Sabbathing each week is going to help you reach that goal. Yeah. So if if that's what I want to do, so I want to be more like Jesus, and in that process, I'm going to Sabbath once a week. Yeah. That sounds a lot more, I hate the word attainable. That, that sounds better than I'm going to Sabbath 52 times this year. Yeah, and the reason being is because, this is why most people always fail at their resolutions, is because it's a zero-sum game. That's how they think of it. I made a goal mm-hmm. of sabbathing 52 times a year well okay so you're three weeks in and you and you didn't meet it so now i'm on the third week of the year and i'm not going to get to 52 because right. I, I i broke it mm-hmm. i missed my mark right so then most people give up yeah but if you sabbath 51 times this year you're more like jesus than yes. you were before and that's why i like a rule again a rule says i want to live i'm going to institute this rhythm in my life Mm-hmm. And so therefore, not only does it become more attainable, like you said, but it reframes it in our work, in our minds, takes it out of the winning, losing 
kind of idea or achieving something. Mm -hmm. And the problem with goals, it's about achieving the goal. But what we're talking about is the goal is not the goal that you wrote. The goal is not 52 weeks. Right. The goal is to be more like Jesus. Right. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want that. What do I need to do to get what I want? Create some rhythms. Rhythms. What were you going to say? Habits. Habits. (laughs) (laughs) Create some rhythms. Well, (laughs) for those not watching, the microphone was blocking your mouth. And so I couldn't tell. I couldn't read your lips. Uh, And so I was like, oh, no, that's not what he said. Uh, But yes. And and you just referenced it. It's interesting. We were talking about this before. In John 1, we've been preaching through John. Mm -hmm. And after we do this abide, then we'll get back into John, John 18, and we'll, that'll take us to Easter and beyond. Because um, 18 to the end of John is on the focus of that, Jesus you know, going towards the cross. But in John chapter 1, right after he called his first disciples, two disciples, it's verse 38, come up to Jesus, and, and Jesus sees them, and he turns around to them, and the ESV actually says, what are you seeking? But other translations, he says to them, what do you want? And in essence, that's what Jesus is asking all of us. Mm-hmm. What do you want? Yeah. Um, and then they tell him, or they ask him, where are you going? And he basically says, come with me and see. And so in essence, what they wanted, they were intrigued by Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. Um, and so he tells them what they need to do to get what they want. So that same premise is true for all of us. If we want to be like Jesus. We want to be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, be more like Jesus. That's what we want. Then what do we need to do to get what we want? And so that's where it reframes to where a resolution makes the goal is what you want. That's not what we're, what we want is something different. And that's ultimately to be like Jesus, to be the best version of ourselves, to be the most holy, sanctified set apart version, just like Jesus was. So that's what we want. Now we're reframing it to say, well, what rhythms or habits do we need to create in our life that will enable us to get what we want? Because at the end of the day, what I want is really about what I love most. Mm. Um, and, and this is what's so funny. And I think a lot of times in Christianity, we, we forget this. Like we tend to think that Christianity is way more about our mind. Like it's just, we need to know something and we need to believe something. So we need, and we tend to think of a discipleship that way. What do I need to know? And I get it. Cause even like I've mentioned this, John eight thirty two. you know, Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But actually right before that, he says, for those who abide in my words, hmm. then you'll know. So knowledge is actually not the first thing that we do. Knowledge is a byproduct of what we do, of the habits. If we create the habits, then we'll know, and that knowledge will set us free. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is discipleship so much is not so much about willpower mm. or, or focusing my mind. And that's how we typically think of resolutions. Right. We right. think about willpower. Mm-hmm. We think about, oh, I, I just got to really you know, say no to this and say yes to that. When the Bible just doesn't speak about transformation or growth or health or however you want to say it, sanctification, it doesn't speak about it as a matter of the mind. 
it speaks about it more as a matter of the heart. Mm. Because here's what we know. If I love something, no one has to tell me to sacrifice for it. That comes naturally. Think about, I mean, the best example is when we were all in love for the first time. No one has to, you know, for us, it was our girlfriends, you know, which now eventually became our wives, you know. But when you fall in love with somebody, no one has to tell you to create habits to be with that person. You just create them. Right. Because the habits followed your heart. Because your heart loved this person, wanted to be with this person. So therefore, you organized everything around your life or everything in your life around that, around your love for that person. Oh, I, I changed where I was having coffee. Yeah. You changed where you're having <laughs> coffee. You probably changed your clothes. Often. Yeah. Probably uh, changed your smell because you took showers more often. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. All those, you were more proper probably. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, you, you know, you were on your best behavior is what people say. Well, did anybody have to tell you that? No one has to like, you need to be, because your habits follow your hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus talked about this when it comes to money. He says, uh, and which is greater than money because he uses the word treasure, but wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the idea is, if I treasure something, if something is valuable to me, if something is important to me, then everything else follows after that. So one of the reasons why we do abide and at the beginning of every year is it's a way to recalibrate our heart. It's a way to recalibrate our loves because if we're all honest, as Augustine would say, who was the third, fourth century theologian who wrote Confessions, City of God. I think he said it in Confessions. He was a bishop who arguably is one of the greatest, most influential, definitely after the apostles in church history. But he talked about our biggest problem is we have disordered loves. Mm. Our loves are out of whack. And we talk about loving God, but the problem is our love for God is not so great that everything in our life starts centering around it. Where how we do our money, how we do our relationships, how we do our time. It doesn't, it doesn't, they're not rearranged by how we love God. Mm -hmm. And so what he talks about is it's actually a heart problem, not a mind problem. Your loves are in the wrong place because if your love is your, your actions, your attitudes, your habits or behaviors, just follow what you love. So I can tell what you love by looking how you act how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you talk about. Jesus says out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I look at all those things, I can tell you right there what mm-hmm. it is that you love. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus is talking about hungering and thirsting, he's not talking about things from the mind. No, it's interesting. Like, why did he use those words? He says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Those who thir- living water, bread, He's the, he's the bread of life. Why did he use that word? Because hunger is something deeper than our minds, like something that we're consciously thinking about. It gets into desires, what we want. And again, if we're going to change our habits, our life, then we have to change what we want most. Because what we want most, 
whatever we hunger and thirst for the most, habits will follow that. So I could say habits follow your hunger. Mm. Whatever you hunger for, your habits are going to follow that. So the reason why we do this 21 days of, of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year is we're reorienting our hunger. We're saying, God, we want you more than we want food. Mm. We want you more. Yes. We want to hunger and thirst for you. Well, in order to do that, you take away what you normally hunger and thirst for because you're reorienting your appetites. You're reorienting, realigning your hungers by saying, God, I, you know, all of us get hungry. You know, and I joked about, I don't know if I joked about this in a Christmas message, maybe been before, but I've never understood those people who go throughout the whole day and they were like, I'm, I just got so busy. I forgot to eat. Yeah. That was in the Christmas message. Was it in the Christmas message? <laughs> I was, yeah. I was cackling yeah. in the back. <laughs> I don't understand yes. those people. Yeah. Like, oh, I forgot to eat today. Yeah. I was so busy. I just forgot to eat. I'm like, how? Yeah. You know, I miss one meal. I'm okay. I miss two meals. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm close to calling 911. It's not something you forgot. No, it's not something I forgot because my appetite for it is mm -hmm. so great. Yeah. But how easy is it for us to miss time with God? Mm. We can miss a morning. We can miss a day. We can miss two days. We can miss a week. And we're not going crazy. That's why we fast. Mm -hmm. Is it reminds us, wow, I wish I longed for, I hungered for God the way I do for food. Mm. And the more it becomes a habit, the more you're pursuing that and not just as a resolution the shorter the time period is between when you realize, Hey, I'm super hungry for God. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why we want to, that's a, that's why we want to talk about it from not a resolution standpoint, but a rhythm or a habit standpoint is what we want to create in this 21 days is not for the 21 days. It's a primer mm -hmm. for what we want to see happen that's after right. the 21 days. That's right. And so the point of the 21 days is not just fasting for 21 days or, you know, and that fasting can, you know, it definitely has a food component. It should, biblically speaking. And then we ask people also to fast from social media. We don't want people to do the 21 days and then right after it, go back to their old habits. Mm -hmm. No, what we're saying is during these 21 days, it's the primer to creating a new habit. It actually takes longer than 21 days. There was a study that went around a while back years ago that said it takes 21 days to, to start a new habit. And it actually takes longer than that, but it does take 21 days to get the, to get our brain like focused on it. Our, our brain in like in tune with it. Mm -hmm. Like now it actually takes longer for it to become a permanent habit. But what we want to have happen after the 21 days is for people to use it as a time to reorient their life where they're listening to God. Like for example, what I would love to see, and, and this is what I try to do in my own life is don't, if you've already made a new year's resolution and you're listening to this, I'm not saying you're a bad person. Don't hear what I'm saying. You've already broken it by the way. Probably so. <laughs> I'm you're probably I'm so. <laughs> I'm such an encourager. Uh, yeah. But I wouldn't make any resolutions. Yeah. Go through this 21 days, pray and fast. And then at the end of the 21 days, ask the Lord, what rhythms do I need to create in my life the rest of this yes. year? Mm -hmm. And I already gave one. Okay, I'm going to Sabbath. You know, I'm going to fast one day a week. Mm -hmm. 
you know, or I'm going to fast, you know, intermittent fasting has become very popular, you know, where I fast for 16 to 18 hours a day. Well, that has great health benefits, but let's say somebody fasts in the morning, like they fast, they eat all their food from like 12 to six in a day, which is great. I think it's a great idea. But instead of just intermittent fasting for health reasons, how about you build into that a spiritual component Mm -hmm. that says, well, in the morning, I'm going to be very hungry. But instead of eating, I'm going to fast on the word of God and develop a biblical meditation in the morning that you do with reap, you know, with the scripture. And we'll talk about that in a second. That's what we want to come out of this season. We want this, we want people to come out of this season, having developed rules of life or a Mm -hmm. rule of life of how they're going to live their life differently for the rest of 2023 Mm -hmm based upon how they God reoriented them during this season. No, it's good. Uh, because as you said, these 21 days are a primer. Yeah. Uh, so we don't, we don't want, I don't want to come out of the 21 days and go back to where I was. No. And we talked about this last year. I, I don't want to cut out those things in my life and go right back to it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I used, one of the things was, and I, I fessed up in, in a message about my Twitter habit. Yeah. Last year. Now Twitter is, is more of a reactive thing. Like if I hear something's going on and a perfect example would be, you know, the horrible thing that happened at the bills football game. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I heard about that and then I went on Twitter yeah. to find out more details Yeah, as opposed to just scrolling Twitter mindlessly and for hours yeah. and hours and hours. So, you know, if you're going to stop social media, yeah. Uh, Number one, you don't have to make a big announcement. I'll, uh, I'll be gone for three weeks. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be back. Yeah. Uh, and then people are going to be so concerned about you yes. if you don't say that. And then on day 22, I'm back. I'm back. Um, yeah. You know, Consider what Pastor Jason just said. Pray through the 21 days. Okay, what, what rhythm of social media yeah. is appropriate in my life that is going to cultivate good habits that are going to make me more like Christ? Yeah, like let's take that for example. And I'm and I'm keep using the phrase rule of life, and we'll talk more about this. We're develop again the content that I created for my class. We'll in our mm-hmm. discipleship groups, we'll develop more of this as a church. But you could do a simple search on on the internet and look it up and find it. But let's take social media. Let's say you created a rule for social media. Very easy. Say, okay, I will only read social media, you know, thirty minutes a day you know, during this time, I'm going to turn off all notifications. Uh, Like I don't, and I'm not being judgmental, but when I'm with people and their phones just blowing up with Facebook notifications, IG notifications, whatever, I'm like, how in the world do you live sane? Mm -hmm. How do you live a sane focused life? Because you're so distracted. You're so scattered in your thought process because you're always being chimed at. Like, the number one thing that I, I just got a, a new phone because we hadn't upgraded in years. And so right before Christmas, I got a new one. And the first thing I do is turn off all the, the energy saving things, like all the background app refresh, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then the second thing is I make sure all my notifications are off. Right. Yeah. Because I don't want that thing dinging on me. Because you, know? you said uh, dinging or, or pinging or whatever, whatever word you used. Yeah. You're being yelled at. Yes. You're Somebody being... else is gaining my attention. Yes. And and it's not Hey. That... Hey. Yeah. Clemson. Clemson. 
Clemson. All right, man, that's that's different. Yeah, <laughs> that's different. That's that's my ringtone. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, that's his ringtone. Hot pockets, which that's is his my text tone. Yeah. And, hey, and I was visiting somebody in the hospital last night, and it and, went off. And it, and it went off. I was able to have this great conversation with one of the orderlies. Don't try to justify your bad habits, David. <laughs> uh, but yes, my point being is you can create a rule of life regarding that area of your life mm-hmm. and then live by the rule. Right. Again, rules are boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, are guardrails. Well, no one, no one is going to tell, like no parent is going to tell their children that they can live a boundaryless life. That life is what they make it, you know, that at least they shouldn't because you're a bad parent. You're going to create boundaries or guard. I mean, when we put kids in their crib, we make it with high walls mm-hmm. so they can't, can't climb out and roll over and die. Well, why is that any different than in our life? We have to live within limits. We have to live within boundaries. And speaking of social media in general, and I say this every year, there is so many studies out now. We anxiety and depression is at all time highs Mm -hmm. in almost every demographic of people. Yeah. Uh, But particularly in younger people, it's way higher than it was. And I was thinking about, I told this to somebody the other day, you know, like when I was growing up and you growing up for sure, we weren't always aware of all these existential crises going on all the time. Right. We were living in our little world Mm -hmm. doing our little thing. Yeah. Well, now teenagers are growing up and they're being like the threat of global warming, the threat of climate, the world's going to end in 10 years. And this isn't a message about climate change. But what I'm saying is a 14 year old, like if you, if you poll and they have so many of them are so worried about that. And I'm not saying that's not a cause to be worried about. What I'm saying is a 14 year old shouldn't be worrying about the anxious. Like that's a lot to put on a kid thinking about an existential crisis of the world. Right. They can't handle that. No. And so they have to create a rule or a boundary or a rhythm. And so again, someone may make the new year's resolution of saying, I'm going to be less on social media. Okay, great. Instead, make a rule and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, uh, as opposed to how you said it, I'm going to spend this many weeks without it or whatever. Say, here's my new rule mm-hmm. and I'm going to abide by this rule. Yeah. It's just a boundary that I've created. You know, for me, that was, and we've talked about this before. I don't have any social media apps on my phone. Um, none. And, and to me, I think they're dumb. And I, again, I said this from a stage, I think any parent that allows their children below the age of 17 or 18 to have it on their phone is dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did not let my son, who's now almost 19, have Instagram until he was a senior in high school because he couldn't handle it emotionally. Right. And he got made fun of for a while, and then it, his, they, they quit talking about mm-hmm. it. You know? So I think you have to create those rules, and that's what this 21 days is about, is developing a rule of life in your life that you're going to live by. In every area of your life, not just spiritually speaking, but definitely spiritually, you know, like a Sabbath, like you're a rule that you're going to have is, you know, I want to have a, you know, I want to spend every morning in, in biblical meditation and, and with scripture, I want to reap a scripture. And so for this season of abide, we're giving them 21 scriptures and we're giving them the, the basic reap guide and we want them 
to, instead of eating food, instead of consuming media, develop that habit over 21 days of doing that. And you put those scriptures together. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about that? Like, what was your... Well, the, the concept of, of 21 days of scriptures, we, we started that a couple of years ago. Yeah. And we reaped all of the verses last year. Mm-hmm. So the reaping is the way we uh, read the Bible, read, examine, apply, and pray. Yeah. So this year, we wanted 21 core scriptures for our church. Mm-hmm. Like if you know these 21 scriptures, yeah. if you come out of this year knowing these 21 scriptures and you have them in your heart, you have them memorized, and, or at least you understand what they mean, foundationally, you will have such a jumpstart yeah. on your rule of life, such mm-hmm. a jumpstart on your own personal discipleship. Yep. And then you'll understand what's important, what, what the church values. Uh, obviously, the church values all 66 books of scripture. Yeah, of uh, but but these are foundational uh, to what we have gone through in John, foundational yeah. to what we have gone through in Abide over the past couple of years, foundational to leading a legacy, foundational to you leaving a legacy. Yeah. So those are the scriptures that we've laid out. Uh, it's intentionally in a particular order. Uh, I won't get into the details of, of what those are, but you may be reading something on a Saturday and go, hmm, yeah. I'm, I do need to go to church tomorrow yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or gather as the people of church yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's totally different. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we've laid out for these 21 days. But as for the actual fasting, fasting from social media, fasting from food, it, it's going to be hard Yeah. because there's, there is a suffering component that's important. Yeah. And that is intentional as well. You know, and I like how you, last year in our abide guide, we actually reaped it for them mm-hmm. where you actually wrote out more of like devotional style. This year we, we are not doing that because we want people to do it themselves. So learning how to feed themselves, which again is intentional. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want you to feed yourselves with food, but feed yourself with scripture. Yeah. And you're going to get to some scriptures and you go, Oh, pastor Jason brings that up all the time. Yeah. He, he talks about that scripture all the time. It must be important for me to know. Yeah. And, and it's intentional in the sense that you talked about suffering. I heard someone say recently, you know, there's a lot of talk about the word passion and, and people are like, oh, I'm passionate about this or passionate about that. And, you know, especially in the millennial generation and younger, which I think is good, you know, everybody wants to work in a job that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's bad, but I think what gets lost a lot of times when it comes to passion is actually what passion is. And, you know, it's funny, we talk about the passion of Christ, you know, the movie. And it's passion at the end of the day is not just a feeling, um, but passion, you know what you're passionate about by what you're willing to suffer for. Mm. So passion has to do with suffering more than it does this feeling of euphoria. And I think that's where the confusion is. People are like, I'm just not passionate about that. Well, it's a misunderstanding of what passion is. If I'm passionate about a family, then I will suffer for the sake of my family because they're my passion. That's who I love. Um, So the reason why we call it the passion of Christ is Christ desperately wanted his, just like the Christmas message, now we're full circle, the lost children of God, Mm -hmm. his brothers and sisters, 
that were lost, that were prodigal. He wanted them back home with his father. So he was willing to suffer to get them back. So the passion of Christ was getting us back to the Father. That was what he was passionate about. But I don't think he would say for one second it was fun or it was like this feeling of euphoria that he had. And so what we tend to think wrongly about passion, it's what I'm doing every day. I got to be passionate about that. Well, Jesus wasn't passionate about giving his life. Jesus was passionate about getting us back to his Father. So he was willing to suffer to get us back. So it's the whole concept of what do you want? What do you need to do? I think a lot of times people think, well, if I want something, that's what I want. But I'm not willing to do something that I've got to suffer for to get what I want because I'm not passionate about doing those things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where you misunderstand. Yes. You don't have to be passionate about doing the things you need to do to get what you want. You just have to be passionate for what you want. Mm -hmm. Then you're willing to do what you need to do to get it. You're willing to suffer for it. And the fruit that can come out of this. It's going to be better than the produce aisle at Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> there's, and there's fruit that you never even thought about. Yeah. Liv- living a disciplined life leads to something that is, you know, maybe something you haven't considered less discipline on the other end. Yeah. I mean, when we, th- when we think about the word discipline, you know, everybody understands that word. Uh, but typically what they think about is two different ways. One is like being disciplined by a parent, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, they disciplined me. They spanked me, put me in timeout, whatever. And then we think about personal discipline. You know, I'm a disciplined person. You know, I, I get up, I work out, I do all those things. Well, what's kind of funny to me is, or intriguing to me, I should say is a better word because I don't mean it negatively, is how those two things are connected. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, one of the core verses for this abide season is going to be Hebrews 12, I believe it's 14 where um, the writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which you will not see God. And so the reason why we're talking about habits is our habits are actually us striving for holiness. We're actually creating habits. And by habits, we mean living a disciplined life. But what's really intriguing to me is right before those verses in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about God disciplining us, mm-hmm. like the negative kind, like disciplining us like fathers do. And here was the connection I thought in my own life. God, the reason why God has to discipline us is because we don't discipline ourselves first. If we lived disciplined lives, then God would have to discipline us less. And so I think a lot of times God disciplines us in our life by bringing crisis by allowing things to happen, to wake us up, to, hey, you can't keep living this way. You need to change your life. You need to develop new habits. To where if we learn how to live disciplined, then we won't have to endure as much discipline. Mm. So discipline's coming either way. Right. So I can choose it or he can choose it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that if you live a disciplined life, then everything's going to go great for you and God's never going to discipline you. But what I am saying is he definitely... Um, won't have to have to discipline you to the same level mm. because like, again, think about it from a parental and child perspective. You know, I discipline my kids because I love them and I'm trying to change their behavior. And ultimately I'm trying to direct their heart. But if they discipline themselves, then I don't have to get as involved. You know, 
you know, something as simple. If, if my kids wake themselves up in order to get ready for school, then I don't have to get them up. Right. I don't have to mm-hmm. get heavy handed with them. Um, and I think the same is true in our own life is if we lived more disciplined lives, if we develop habits of holiness, then naturally we're going to be holier people. And then God doesn't have to discipline us as hard to get our attention to develop new habits. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. So habits of holiness, that's what we're going to be talking about here in January. Um, You'll be getting more information on the abide guide. It's going to be uh, on the app. Mm -hmm. It'll be downloadable as a PDF. It's very simple. We'll reap a verse as an example, and then you'll be able to reap verses. You know, we're going to start out on day one uh, with, uh, Matthew chapter 11, mm. 28 to 30, mm. come to me all, Rest. all who are weary. Then we're going to go into day two. It's going to be Romans, uh, chapter 12, renewing our minds. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to go back into Psalm 78 uh, on day three, which is the famous slaw verses. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stand, listen, listen. uh, ask, walk. walk. Yeah. And, and so a very intentional way to uh, ease our way into foundationally why we're in a 21 day fast, why we're in, we thought about calling it 21 days of crisis because we're, we're changing our our lives in this 21 days. Yeah. We're creating our own crisis. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but we didn't think that was very attractive. No. Well, and we were talking about that before and I mentioned this back in COVID, which was a big crisis, but the Greek word for judgment is the Greek word crisis. And I talked about how God brings crises in our life as a form of judgment. Because again, getting us to repent, getting us to change. And so, yeah, in a funny way, we're creating our own 21-day crisis. <laughs> we're creating a food crisis in our life. We're creating a, a, a self-induced crisis. An information crisis. An information crisis, yeah, to where it forces our, – our bodies are going to be like, whoa, what, what the heck are you doing here, yeah. sucker? Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. Well, it's reminding your body, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they are, you're not a slave. You know, like I heard somebody say the other day, technology is a great tool, but it's a horrible master. Mm. Well, you learn how much of a master it is over you when you take it away for 21 days. Whoa. Same with food, yep. you know? So we're intentionally creating a crisis in our life so that we're better prepared to handle when other crises come. And I was thinking about this a second ago, you were talking about scripture the reason why we chose these scriptures is they're foundational. And like the verse says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Mm-hmm. Well, by us taking this 21 days of prayer and fasting, that is us creating an intentional crisis so that we can hide these words in our heart so that later on down the year, when a real crisis comes, what comes out is the word of God because we put it in. We develop these habits of holiness so that when a, real crisis comes, what comes out of us is not unholy. It's not anger. It's mm-hmm. not unrighteousness. It's God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's his words coming out of mm-hmm. us. And I think that's why so many of us don't respond well to crisis because we live so undisciplined all the other times that then when something, some big crisis comes, we're just reaping the fruit of all that undiscipline. Right. Mm. Well, I, I'm very excited uh, about the fast, and, and I always feel the same way. I, I'm expecting God to do something. Yeah. So the fast doesn't start till what, the 16th? 
January 16th through okay. February 3rd or 4th. So you may be listening to this on January 4th yeah. or 5th or 6th, whatever day you're listening to this. Prepare your heart now. Yep. You know, it's the same thing. I always say this uh, with WOCO. The day you buy the ticket is the day you've committed to that event on whatever day in October that is, and and God is working on your heart. So pray, ask God, you know, what do you want me to do during this fast? Prepare yeah. your heart for this so January 16th isn't some culture shock at the end of the Super Bowl Yeah, where you're like, I... Or at the end, or at the end of the national championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's between the national championship and the Super Bowl, and and see what God does. Ask him to do. Ask him to move. Yep. And and then see what he does. Yeah. Show himself to you. We talked about this at you know last year about the revelation. Mm-hmm. You know, God has revealed Himself. So it's not just asking God to reveal Himself, but it's asking God to open our eyes to what He has revealed. Mm. You know, to show us what he has revealed in his word um, to make himself known to us. He's willing and, and waiting to do that. We are just too busy consuming everything else. Mm. Well, I think we've reached the 61 minute mark of we this have. podcast. Is that, a, is that a personal best? I don't know. I, I think it was worth it. Chandler, you still there? I am. <laughs> <laughs> he nodded off. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for, uh, gathering with us on this podcast and excited about what God is going to do this January. Um, if you want a transcript of everything we said today, uh, just write everything down. Just go back and play it again and write everything down. Our producer is, of course, Chandler Elder. Our head of doctrine and theology is Theologian. You're all waiting for the new ones at the end. I know you are. Yeah, I had to drink my um, coffee before yeah. I spit it out. Our, our, our chief evangelist is Salvation. Uh, I always think that's funny. Uh, our, our backsliding prevention officer is lukewarm. Uh, our translator is Lexicon. Our lineage specialist is genealogy. Um, she knows so much about lineage. <laughs> our director of Swedish witnessing <laughs> is Bjorn again. That's my favorite. Uh, our overseer of Godfather ordinances, uh, Fredo baptism. I think um, we can do away with that one. Okay, I'm going to cross that one out. That's uh, that one's <laughs> that's gone. Your favorite. That, that's for me and my brother. Not that he ever listens to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, our Reformed Theology Advisor is Cal Vanism. Uh, our expert on Russian eschatology is Pitof Hell. Uh, <laughs> our Director of Holiness is Mortification. And our Chief of Tithing, drumroll please, is Generosity. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we, we end the podcast every time with the greatest advice ever. Trust God. And take a nap. See you next time.